0: so i'd like to to explore a little bit more both both our practice here in this wilderness and some of the stuff that's kind of comes up through practice through being here um, particularly at this point in the retreat yeah which is the middle and I think I mentioned this maybe on the first day, um, that in the Buddha's time when he was teaching both the monks and nuns and the lay people, he really emphasized going out in nature and practicing um, in the wild. Uh, In fact so much that the monks and the nuns weren't allowed to stay in one place except for during the monsoon. Yeah, so except for those three months, they were actually the instruction was to go out and to be um, someone, a nomad like we are, moving around from place to place. And he also really emphasized practicing in nature. Yeah, so this kind of renunciate kind of lifestyle that we're living, the simplicity. Um, the kind of moving around, not having the comforts of a usual place, and also the power of practicing in nature. Yeah, and I think I said this that all I think all the meditation instructions in the in the in the old text starts with go to um, to the forest <laughs> or a wild place or something like that and find the root of a tree or a deserted hut. And sit there and then do the practice. You know, then he gives the, the instructions. Um, and so it's a real, like, consistent part. Uh, obviously also to do with the social conditions at the time. But also very much to do with um, what this offers to, to, op- to the practice. Yeah, what this supports in the practice. So... We can reflect on our own experience here. You know, how is this supportive to the practice? What has been coming up? And you know, I think today, listening to each other, we probably got a sense of stuff that's coming up, not just for us, but also for others. And reflecting now, after you know, we've been here four, four days already, we can also see what has been coming up. Yeah, sometimes um, a lot of. Sense of openness and spaciousness, Um, sometimes a lot of ease, yeah, feeling very kind of content and at ease with the world, whatever is arising, Um, sometimes a sense of deep connection, yeah, and sometimes vulnerability, yeah, meeting our edges, maybe fear, challenges. You know, all of that arises for us as we kind of move out into the wildness, move out into nature. And these two aspects, yeah, the openness, the connectedness, the ease and the vulnerability or the fear or the difficulty, they're not disconnected from each other. So, in our own minds, if, if we kind of reflect, we might have a sense of, oh, the practice is going well, I've got, you know, I'm at ease, I feel open and connected. And, oh, the practice is not going well, or this is not great, or I hate it here, I wish I hadn't come, because I'm feeling vulnerable, or distressed, or fear, fearful, you know? And we, we make this dichotomy. But actually, it's all connected, yeah? It's all related. There's something about the simplicity of the way we're living here. There's something about this exposure, yeah? Not being able to have the things that we surround ourselves with to make us feel safe and comfortable. Something about that that really strips away layers of protection that we have in place and that allows things to come up, yeah? Allows things to come up. And this is both the ease and the connection and the edges, yeah, and the vulnerability and the fragility. So things can come up and we can get in touch with them, yeah. We can make contact with what is here, with what is in us, in our experience, There's a beautiful story from from the texts of um, the Buddha sending um, during the rainy season when the monks and nuns were allowed to stay in one place. Um, he would also send them off <laughs> to kind of, you know, forests or mountains. Or And there's a beautiful story, which is kind of, it's a myth, but it's beautiful of a group of monks and nuns that went off to practice in some remote corner of the Himalayas in a forest. And um, when they got there, the forest was full of spirits that really didn't want these people to hang out in their their place. (laughs) So they kind of did everything they could to make them leave. Um, And it's quite a funny thing, you know, they made bad smells and scary noises. And kind of apparitions, you know, to to make them. And and, and they succeeded, you know, the monks. I think it was only monks. If there was nuns, it wouldn't have happened. The monks ran away. (laughs) So the monks ran away back to the Buddha and said, Oh dear, you know, we can't meditate in this place, you know. It's like impossible, you know, all these bad smells and it's really scary. And the mind can't settle, you know, come on, um, send us somewhere else. And the Buddha said, well, there isn't anywhere else, you know. That's the only place that's still available. Everywhere else is full of other monks and nuns meditating. (laughs) You've got to go back there. But, being the compassionate teacher that he was, he offered them a practice. And he said, I'll offer you a practice that um, I'll teach to you and you'll practice it. And I promise you that that practice will support you um, in overcoming the difficulties and the challenges that you're facing in this in this place. And the practice that he offered was metta practice. Uh, some of you know that practice. Um, it's the, the chant that we're chanting in the evenings sometimes. This cultivation of an attitude of goodwill and friendliness towards all beings, including ourselves. And so he spent some time teaching them the practice. And um, they were so dedicated because they had to go back to that place that they practiced with the buddha and then they set off on their walk long walk back to the forest and practiced the whole way and by the time they arrived they were radiating this goodwill and friendliness and the spirits in the forest this is the myth saw them from a distance and saw these kind of beings radiating metta and um they decided not only that they would allow them to practice in their forest, but that they would look after them uh, during the three months and kind of offer them food and, and all their needs um, because they were so kind of blown away by that energy of friendliness and welcoming. So it's a beautiful story and it's really helpful to, to, to kind of see that connection, yeah? Yeah the fear, the negativity that we experience, the discomfort, the challenge, we have a way of addressing that, yeah? And that's through the cultivation of an attitude of friendliness and goodwill, yeah? It's not just a, um, something about feeling good, it's, it can really change our relationship yeah, with the difficult, change the relationship with the difficult. And it opens us up to have a different relationship to ourselves and to the world. Yeah, to ourselves and to the world. And again, being here in nature, where it feels like we're receiving these teachings all the time. Um, I think someone mentioned this uh, looking at the trees, maybe Nathan mentioned it in one of the talks. You know, when we look at the trees, um, or Sonia mentioned it, Sonia also mentioned it today in the Qigong, they don't grow straight. And they don't grow according to some standard of what they should look like. <laughs> yeah? They grow according to the conditions of their life. And they're each unique. Yeah? If you look around, I mean, I can see more trees than you at the moment, but you can imagine they're not the same. And when we look at nature, when we look at trees, that's something we appreciate, isn't it? Like, I think we would feel quite kind of hard done by if we came all the way to lapland and all the trees looked as if they were kind of like pruned to look the same like in some formal garden <laughs> you'd be like mm. and so can we also have that attitude towards ourselves yeah When we meet our edges, when we meet our difficulties, when we meet the parts of ourselves or the parts in our experience which are challenging or difficult, can we see that just like the trees, you know? We are shaped by our experience. We are shaped by the conditions of our lives. And there is beauty in that. Yeah, There is beauty in that that's beyond the likes and the dislikes and the preferences. And we can ask ourselves, what would it be to really meet ourselves in that way, or to meet others in that way, or to meet, you know, the ups and downs of being on a trekking retreat in that way. Ah, it's like, oh, it's leaning a bit that way. <laughs> and it's got this bunch of branches over here, and kind of one growing out to the side. <laughs> that's kind of, isn't it beautiful? You know, That's life. It's really life. So a lot of this is coming to the surface. A lot of these different ways we're being challenged, maybe, on the retreat are coming to the surface at this point in the retreat. And I was saying to the managers today that I call this time of the retreat the wild side. (laughs) You know the um, Lou Reed song, Walk on the Wild Side? Hey, babe, take a walk on the wild side. (laughs) And it's, it's this point, you know, in the middle, yeah, This is when the wildness comes through. Yeah, for some of us like me, you know, we also haven't washed or brushed our hair. So it's also very apparent physically. Um, And for others of you who have washed and are clean and lovely, um, it's coming up in the inner life. Yeah. The wildness. Yeah, the wildness, which we love, right? We love the wildness when it's around us, when we see it in nature. But it's also in these challenges, you know, maybe physical, maybe we're not feeling well. Yeah, the body's getting a little bit sick. Maybe it's emotional. You know, some vulnerability is coming up or some stuff is getting processed. Yeah, maybe it's kind of coming up in the kind of a bit of a, not finding our place within the, the structure and kind of finding it a little bit oppressive to have the bell ringing all the time and people telling us what to do. <laughs> you know, all of this is, is, is wild, yeah? It's all wild. It's the wildness just showing itself, just coming through. And it's very, very beautiful, yeah, it's a sensitivity, and sometimes it feels like a, a rawness, you know, being like that we're, we're raw. We've been so rubbed by the wind, and the sun, and the rain, and being outside. I can feel like this, this rawness. And an image that actually came to me in the last Himalayan Yatra we did just over a year ago was like, it's like we're dying yeah but we're dying into life. yeah we're not dying out of life. We're dying into life because the stuff is coming up and it's like a pressure cooker sometimes. yeah it can feel quite intense for some of us. It's like a dying into life, into the really basic thing of being alive, being... A creature of the wild, yeah? I mean, I know we're sitting here covered in plastic, (laughs) as we we do in our day and age when we come out into nature. But if we take all these layers of plastic off, yeah? And we get to the skin and the flesh and the bones, we're the same as this, yeah? We're the same as this, we're the same as that, yeah? This is what we are. (laughs) We are also wild. We're also nature. And it's really helpful to remember. And it's also helpful to remember that just like this river, which is flowing, yeah, it's flowing and it's made up of, you know, snow that has melted and rain that has fallen and soil that has come from... Many, many different places and dead animals and God knows what else, yeah? We are made of the same things. We are made of the same things. Yeah, this body is made up of the same things as that river. 70% water. (laughs) Yeah, food that we take in from plants, from animals, yeah? That's all comes from the soil and the sun and the rain. Yeah. And we're also that river is flowing through, so it comes in and it goes out. Yeah. We sweat. We pee. We poo. Just layers of our skin keep coming off. We don't see them. But that happens. Yeah. We lose nails, we lose hair. Keeps going back into the system. So we're part of that. This body is part of this. Yeah, it's a deep contemplation. <laughs> very immediate. Yeah, can't really argue with it. <laughs> but very, very deep. and it can be helpful to also see the mental and emotional life like that it's also a river that's flowing through yeah it's made up of conditions it's made up of things just like the body's made up of earth and sun and rain the mental and emotional life is also conditioned Yeah, it's made up of history, it's made up of the physical sense in that moment, it's made up of mind states, made up of habits, comes together and flows through. So it's the physical level, and it's the mental level, and it's the way we are in the world. It's all a river <laughs> that flows. Yeah. So our actions, our intentions, our speech, our choices, they are things that come through us, and they also have an impact. Does that feel like a big jump, or does it flow? The body, the mental and emotional life, and our actions and our choices. They're all part of this network of life. Yeah, all part of this network of life. So, what happens when we really let ourselves feel that? And see ourselves as dying into life again and again. Yeah. Dying to this sense of separation. Dying to this sense of me and mine. Yeah. Dying to the sense of, you know, wilderness and not wilderness. Yeah. If we can really let ourselves go, let ourselves go, does that allow us to let go of some of what causes suffering to ourselves and to others, in that sense of separation, in that sense of solidity of self and other? It's a question, Yeah, it's a question to ask ourselves contemplate So over the days here we've been really emphasizing opening to beauty or inclining inclining the mind to to beauty to joy to what is okay And what is good enough in our experience? And sometimes, uh, for some people who kind of are familiar with Buddhist teachings, that might sound a bit out of sync. You know, maybe you think that we've just made it up because it sounds nice. Because there's such an emphasis. In the way we hear the teachings, there's an emphasis on opening to suffering, yeah? seeing suffering, understanding suffering. But if we look and listen carefully to the teachings, there's the emphasis on suffering, and with it, that emphasis of what brings an end to suffering, yeah, so it's not just the suffering, it's what brings an end to suffering, in equal measure, and this can be a real call to us, yeah, to cultivate, to nourish in our lives that which alleviates suffering, in ourselves, for ourselves, and in the world, and for the world. Yeah, it's connected. And there's many ways to do this. Yeah, there's many ways to do this. And that's really important to also really kind of put out there. There's many ways to to do this. Bringing attention to the breath is one of them. (laughs) Being in the body is another. Cultivating metta is another inclining the mind, opening to what uplifts, what nourishes, what supports is another. Yeah. There's many, many ways of doing this. And as we explore these ways, yeah, as we kind of really play again, play with different ways, find our way of exploring, this supports us to act and to be in the world in a way that frees and in a way that reduces suffering for all of us. So yesterday when we were um, crossing the river back to the camp, we passed a nest. And I think most of the group passed that nest in such a way that the the duck who was there, you know, wasn't disturbed. And then at some point she was and she flew off and the rest of us who walked by afterwards got to see this beautiful perfectly made nest with I don't know how many eggs sitting there. Perfect beautiful eggs. And As I looked at it and as I walked past, I was so touched by knowing that in this group, I don't think anybody would have thought to take any of those eggs. (laughs) I don't think anyone would have thought that, or even if they had, I don't think anyone would have acted on it. Yeah. Because of this sense of harmlessness that we're cultivating of being here with respect and care to the other creatures whose home we are in yeah. and it made me wonder something I've wondered often it made me wonder what would it be like to be a human being that caused no fear in any creature, because I think one of the most painful things for us as human beings is that so many creatures fear us. Yeah, So many creatures fear us. You know, we've been here over these days, and we've seen many signs of wildlife, I mean there's been tons and tons of poo, <laughs> Yeah, but we haven't seen any of the creatures. Because they're shy. And because probably they're afraid of us to some degree. So how do we open to that? How do we hold that? That knowing? So there's so much here that we see, and there's so much here that we don't see, (laughs) yeah, but it's here, and we can see it, we can know it, we can feel it, even without seeing it. That this is home to so many beings, that we are guests, (laughs) and we can play with that How does it change the experience to think that we are the guests of the mosquitoes (laughs) instead of them, you know, getting in our way? This is their home. We're the ones who kind of turned up. (laughs) How does that change things? Or someone was saying to me, you know, how does it change things if we see the mosquitoes as the guardians of this place? there weren't so many of them, there might be a lot more people here. And what would that be like? Yeah. How does that change things if we just start to play with this? This is also the home of people. Yeah. Who are also unseen. You know, we saw those in the first few days. We saw a couple of times these kind of tent structures look to me, they looked like a teepee, but they're not. Yeah, kota. Kota? they're called kota, and they're the traditional, um, kind of habitation, I think, of the Sami people. Maybe only when they're herding, I'm not sure. But you know, this is a land with the people that have a story. And they too are not so visible to us. And part of why they're not visible is because like a lot of other indigenous people in the world, they've suffered depression and um, injustice and abuse of their rights to live according to their culture and in their way. So can we bring that into into this wildness into this place into what we see and what we don't see and bring that in It matters that we acknowledge these things Yeah It matters that we acknowledge these things and if we go back to that teaching about suffering It matters that we open to the suffering in life, as part of life, but also as something that can be addressed. Also as something that can be addressed. So opening to the shadow side of life, Yeah, opening to that suffering aspect. Whether in ourselves, the wild side. Whether on a social level, whether on a global level, environmental level. Can we include that in our opening here? And can we allow ourselves to be moved We allow ourselves to be moved. Taking responsibility not as a burden, but as a privilege, actually. (laughs) As an honor. To be able to acknowledge suffering. To be able to acknowledge the rights of everyone. Everyone. Whether human or not human. Whether... Privileged or unprivileged, to live safely, to live happily, to live free from oppression. You know, it's what we're chanting in the nights. And can we let that really infuse our being as something that supports us in the way we live? to care for this world, yeah, to care for this world and all its beings. As I've said before, we didn't choose to be born into this world. But here we are, yeah, here we are. And all of us here have been born into situations of quite some privilege, Which doesn't mean that we don't know suffering, yeah? We do. But can we let ourselves be moved to care for the world and all its beings, including ourselves? That's our practice. To be moved by all things. And to know ourselves in all things, for as long as there is suffering in the world, there'll be beings working to alleviate that suffering. And may we all take our place amongst them. And I wish that for all of us, from the depth of my being. So let's just have a quiet moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.